Well, what a privilege and honor and a blessing for me to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor John and Kay had an opportunity to get away and uh, go up and see their daughter and son-in-law up in Washington and spend some time with them during the holidays. Um, and so I, I get to come and be here with you guys. John did want me to tell you guys that he loves you so very much. But, you know, I want to kind of set the, 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 the bar straight, I guess, is that's only half the story. There's another side of the story for us that uh, get a fill-in for John when he's gone. And uh, it normally starts like this. About two weeks before the weekend of, you get a phone call. Hey, Rob, this is Pastor John. Hey. <laughs> I was wondering, in a couple of weeks, if you would be willing to fill in and, and you know, on and on. And, and my, my normal reply is, well, let me talk to Beth and, uh, and I'll get back to you. And uh, so I, you know, pick up my, my stomach and my nerves off the ground and put them back in. I go talk to Beth and I get back with John and, and it works out. But one of the things, just being candid and showing you my personal frailties, I guess, the, one of the hardest things for me on doing this is coming up with the title. It seems simple, and our church isn't big on titles, and, and in 180 or Rooted or Men's Breakfast, we don't really display a title, and I always, in the back of my head, know, man, when I teach on the weekend, I'm going to have to have a, a title, and I got evidence uh, that this isn't my strong point. My title for this week's message is, Sticks and Stones Can Break My Bones. It's an old nursery riddle. Even worse than that, I only used half of it. Sticks and Stones Can Break My Bones, but... What's the traditional ending? Words will never hurt me. Names will never hurt me. Do you believe that? You think that's true remotely at all? It's interesting. This morning, what we're going to look at, we're going to see what God's word has to say with our words, with what proceeds out of our mouth. Are they important or not? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, um, a lot of you were here probably when we went through the book a couple years ago with Pastor John. Uh, this is a, an, an incredible chapter. In, in my Bible, it breaks it up into two large subunits. And, and verses 1 through 16 are really about the unity of the church. As us as believers, how are we to function, get along in this world? And then from 17 to 32, the end of that chapter, the, the title in my Bible says, The Christian Walk. How are we as Christians supposed to walk? How are we to live? How do we carry out, conduct ourselves in this world? It's very interesting. And then, and then in verse 15, he, he, he switches modes into our, our speech. I'm sorry, in verse 25, not 15. Let, let's read verses 25 uh, together. It says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, says, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It says, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And then verse 29. This is, this is where we're going to really focus in on today. Powerful, powerful verse says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good, you are worthy, and we are thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, that you would 
give us the opportunity to study your word, that you would give us your word, that you would redeem us and conform us into your image. Wow. Lord, let, this morning, let, let, let us learn from you and nothing else. Our prayer that the, is that we would remove all distractions, whatever it might be, that nothing this morning would speak louder to us than you. Lord, move me aside, whatever else needs to be moved. Let us clear our minds and our hearts. Cleanse our hands, Lord, and come before you. Teach us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I found a uh, report from CNN. It's, it's from the late 90s. Let me read it to you. It, it has to do with communication. It's quite interesting. A male, a man in one day, utters two to 4,000 words, uses one to 2,000 vocal sounds in the range of three to four tones. A man in one day makes a mere two to 3,000 body language signals. His daily average adds up to around 7,000 communicating words, communication words a day. That's a man. Now a woman. What? A woman can effortlessly speak about six to 8,000 words a day. She can use an additional two to 3,000 vocal sounds, six to seven tones in her communication, as well as eight to 10,000 facial expression, head movements, and other body language. This gives her well over a daily average of more than 20,000 communications, just almost three times of a man. And I'm not saying anything, this is just a report I found. I thought that was interesting to show how important communication is. See, sticks and stones might break our bones, but we communicate a lot every day. And every time we communicate, we have an opportunity to impact people. In fact, think about it. There's probably nothing we do consciously, regardless of what end of the spectrum of numbers you're on, consciously we do a day. Not even remotely close. Communication, our words are so important. So think about this. What is the most harmful thing about you? Are you a black belt? Did you used to wrestle in high school? What's the most dangerous thing about you? Even what's the most deadly thing about you? As humans, what are we equipped with that's so dangerous? The answer is it's a little three to four inch long muscle. It weighs less than a a quarter of a pound. It's made up of over 80% water. And it's hidden behind our teeth. Tucked behind our lips. This thing is dangerous. Yet it's a small part of our body, but it empowers us to a state that can define our lives. Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible, it speaks a lot of the foolish man and the wise man. Have you ever noticed one of the major factors separating those two groups? The the way in which he uses his tongue? The frequency of which he uses his tongue? When he talks and when he doesn't? How fast he responds? Separates what the Bible calls a fool and a wise man. The tongue. Just a small part. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Me and my wife got to go a couple years ago, and one of the things that just always catches my, my memory, or I guess impressed me the most, right, you get on these boats, and 
they're nicer than they need to be. And, and you, you go, and, and then you'd stop at all these little ports that have these romantic names, but to me, they all look the same. And, and we're, we're on the pier walking to someplace, and I stopped on the pier, and I looked back at the boat. Have you ever done that? In that context, on this little island in the Caribbean, this boat made the ocean look small. I mean, this thing is huge at the end of the pier. And I stopped and think, how much money does it take to make one of these? What, what, what technology would be involved? What engineering? How much horsepower? I mean, on and on. My mind's just being riddled with how big this thing is. And I was thinking, man, as unstoppable as this, as this is, I mean, it's a floating city. It's got three swimming pools, a tennis court, climbing wall, putting greens. As unstoppable, able to, to, to sail all the seas, this whole boat's controlled by one thing. And this one thing, this is state of the art. This thing's thousands of years old, this thing it's controlled with. A rudder, hidden beneath the water, unseen, so important. I ask you, how many of you would want to go on a cruise on a boat with no rudder? Because that boat, it's rendered useless. Whoa. It's rendered useless. The Bible makes that analogy with our tongue. It says, yeah, it's hidden in your mouth. You might be great. Control your tongue or else our Christian lives will be rendered useless. Wow. See, sticks and stones might break our bones. But although the tongue is a small part of our body, it has the ability to direct our entire lives. It's powerful. We can have it all. The picture-perfect family, the great house, the picket fence, the dog, the wonderful, the wonderful uh, you know, occupation. We can be involved in church. And the Bible says, be careful because it can all be rendered useless. It can all go out of control if we are not careful in the manner we use our tongue. It's powerful. It can either be used to build up, to encourage, or to edify, or it can be used to be destructive and completely devastating. It's important we take this seriously. The Bible gives us strong warnings about our tongue. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles, keep your thumb here, uh, but to James chapter 3. James, uh, I mean, what a great book for just uh, just simple, logical Christian living. I mean, it's the book, it's a practical book. Five chapters in James, every single chapter chapter addresses the tongue. Chapter 3, he addresses it quite a bit. The majority of the chapters focused on the tongue. But I want us to look at James chapter 3, specifically verse 7. It says, for every species of beasts and, and birds, of the reptiles and the creatures of the sea. So those are tamed, and they have been tamed by the human race. Now let's stop and, and really take this verse right here into context. All the creatures and the things that fly and the creepy things and, and the swimming things, they've all been tamed. Have you ever been to a circus? And have you seen like when they, it all impresses me, but when they bring out the elephants... And one guy with a little whipper thing in the middle, and all these elephants, and they're doing exactly what he wants. James is saying, yep, those things have been done. Or the lion. I mean, what's the first day of practice look like with a lion? Hey, we got a new lion in. 
Uh, we're not sure how he's going to react, how he's going to respond. Why don't you take a chair in with you? James is saying, I know that's dangerous. I know that's crazy. That's been done. We were at SeaWorld, and they had a show that said, the fastest animal on planet Earth. Woo. Well, let's go watch that. And, and it's a falcon. I don't know what type, but some type of falcon is supposedly the fastest animal on Earth. And they got this, like, rope with falcon food on the end, and they're whipping this thing, and the falcon's doing these stunts. They're blowing the whistle, and this falcon's responding and attacking and swooping down on this. And then at the end of the show, th- I mean, it just blew my mind. The falcon's sitting there on his little perch. They blow the whistle, and this falcon takes straight off. <laughs> straight up. Everyone's looking. Barely see him. They blow the whistle again, and this falcon dives straight down. Woo! Str- boom, attaches the food. And that was uh, supposedly the fastest moment. How did they train that? James is saying, that's all been done. He's saying, I know that's crazy, but it's been done and we're doing it now. You want to know what's really crazy? Not the elephant that they get to stand on a barrel with one leg. That's crazy. But what's really crazy, go to the next verse. Verse 8. He says, no one. This is dangerous, guys. No one can tame the tongue. That other stuff is, man, it's, it's tough, but it's been done. But, but this is a restless evil. This, it's, it's full of deadly poison. See, sticks and stones can break our bones, but our tongue, it's dangerous. Our tongue is, is poisonous, even to the extent of being fatal. Communication, it's such an important ingredient in a godly way of life. If we don't know how to speak words of encouragement, words of love, if we don't know, know how to probe into situations of things we need to know or understand, most likely our relationships are going to starve from neglect. And the reality is that's what most relationships suffer from. Either a, a lashing out of the tongue as a demonstration of power that it has to curse, or an absence of the tongue's power to heal. And to bless one another. See, as believers, as a rock community church, as families, as small groups, as couples, as individuals, if we don't work on communication, communication is going to work on us. Hands down, communication is the biggest core problem of marriage. Think about it. The tongue is the strongest muscle in our marriage. And, and we normally use his strength in a negative manner. Now combine that with the weakest muscle in our marriage, which is our ear, hearing, listening, and you end up with a, a recipe or a, for a disaster. Communication. What causes the breakdown? So often laziness, sinfulness, simply being distracted and, and busy. We're unthoughtful. It breaks down because we tend to say things like, well, if they don't get it, it's, it's their fault. I've said it. See, communication, it's a process. There's, there's components to it. Three components, to be exact. You, you have to have a, a messenger, a transmitter. You have to have a message, and you have to have a receiver. Think of how a television works. Think how a radio works. A telephone have to send it, have a message, and you have to have somebody to receive it. See, but with us as humans, the problem is the sender is most often always a sinner. And, and the message that the sender is sending is most often tainted with 
a sinful message because we're selfish. And then to add on top of that, the receiver themselves, well, they're too a sinner and selfish. And normally they only want to hear what they want to hear. And, and, and you look at this and it almost seems impossible for real communication to ever happen. Communication, it's a circle. It's not a one-way street. See, us saying, well, well, I told you so already, that means nothing because we can tell somebody something and it's insufficient unless they receive it. Because it if they haven't received it, no communication has gone on. It takes two to communicate, not just one person yelling. The receiver has to acknowledge the message. There's a constant obligation on both parties. Until we close that circle, we could just go over and over the same point again and again until, what, somebody's going to shut down. Somebody's going to come closed off. The receiver's no longer going to be open to hear. And, and, and then the cycle's never completed. So hearings, or the, the communication never took place. And really all you end up with is what, the, the, the sender just talking to himself and the receiver saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. And relationships, they dissolve and they break down. And, and, and it happens in marriage. The reality in a lot of relationships, this problem has happened years ago. It can, can almost become expected in marriage. Now, no one dares notice this. Definitely don't want to address it. Don't want to bring it up. But, but both couples can continue believing that they have been misunderstood for years. And it plunges that relationship deeper and deeper into difficulties, into the blame game, to being uh, you know, all the misconceptions, feeling defrauded, and what? It grows hostility. Communication. It's more than an exchange of words. It, it's more than merely talking. Communication, it takes great effort from both parties. If we would, let's, let's dive into Ephesians 4.29. I'll, I'll reread that verse. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Look at the first part of that verse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Point number one I want to make is we need to use selective words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Selective words. See, there's, there's good words, there's bad words, there's words that are wholesome, and there's words that are unwholesome. And if we desire to honor Christ with our daily lives, we need to be selective in the words that we use. This very principle, it's a part of the fruits of the Spirit. It's to be self-controlled. And a part of being self-controlled has to do with being selective with our words. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this, because, quite frankly, this can be hard to do. There, there's some major obstacles in our way if we want to use selective words. I mean, what is a wholesome word? What is, a, what is an unwholesome word? There, just in general terms, there's huge discrepancies in the English vocabulary. Let me give you a few. Eggplant contains no egg. Hamburger contains no ham. Pineapple doesn't have pine or apple. English muffins were not only not invented in England, they're not even made there. French fries, not French. Quicksand is extremely slow. Boxing rings are square. 
Get this. If writers write, why don't fingers fing? If a teacher taught, why doesn't a preacher prot? Or we park on driveways and we drive on parkways. It's tricky stuff. We play at recitals and recite at plays. I was just told a new one between services. <laughs> if vegetarians eat vegetables, what do hum humanitarians eat? <laughs> Get one. <laughs> I mean, this can be a major obstacle. Just trying to use words and communicate itself. Some linguists are convinced that it's completely impossible for us to really communicate 100% what we mean. Words can be tough. But what Paul is telling us here, that the choice of our words means so much. The reality is, man, when we look in our, in our lives, we abuse the ones that we love the most. We abuse the ones that we have the most opportunity to bless the most. And Paul's saying, you can't use any word you want. In fact, as a Christian, you must be selective with the words you use. You must use wholesome words in your speech. Definition of unwholesome in this context, speech or communication that is corrupt. It's worthless, it's ugly, unbecoming, it's foul, and it's rotten. Paul's saying, don't let it happen, church. You're children of God. Don't be rotten. You're the redeemed. Don't let it proceed from your mouth. He says you're called to be beautiful. Church, we're called to be blameless. We're called to be encouraging, edifying. It doesn't matter how well you know them or how well they know you. It's the standard, selective in the words that we use. Prior to this passage, we're looking at uh, Paul's defining in this section what Christians look like. And if, if we're believers, we must be changed from the inside out. Let's read verses 22 in the same chapter. He's saying, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Verse 23, That you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're to be different. We're to be select and selective in the words that we say. Look at verse 17, same chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in their futility of their mind. They have futile minds. He says, that's not how we are to walk. We should look different. We should act different. We should live different. No longer you're, we're, we're different to, set up, to be set apart. They have the, the, the unbelievers, the pagans, they have a futile mind. They have a dark understanding. They have a hard heart. Pa pagans don't select their words. Instead, they just speak carelessly. It, it makes sense that an unbeliever would speak vile because their heart is vile. They, they don't have control over their mouth because they're not of God. They have no self-control. They do have a desire to put themselves on display, to draw attentions to themselves for the purpose of honoring themselves so therefore they speak with boundless words with with an overflow with an excess they spew out the good the bad and the ugly he's saying though as christians we need to use a filter 
with the words that we use. As women and, and men of God, we need to speak in such a way to honor Christ and to honor one another. Saying, carefully select, qualify each word, not just to strangers, but to those that we're the closest with. And it should be our mission to speak in a manner that is honorable to one another. If you would, uh, Ephesians, uh, go to chapter 5, verse 3. It says, put immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse gesturing which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. No immorality, no filthiness, no coarse gesturings. Our words needs to be created to give thanks to God. And one of the big trends now even in preaching is for the pastors to come up and give their message and use vulgar language to relate, to drive home the point. Paul's clearly saying, no, that's, that's not okay. It's not wholesome. If you wouldn't mind going back to James chapter 3. I really want to look at the second half of verse 5 and 6, but we'll read all of verse 5. It says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles our entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. Look at that that, that, that first part in verse 5 where it talks about how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. Last night on my way to Saturday night service, I stopped by 7-Eleven and got myself a, a mini lighter. 79 cents. Small, cheap, disposable. But I want to ask you, what value amount of damage could this little 79 cent lighter cost, or cause? How many acres could this little guy burn? It's just a 79-cent lighter. This thing can do insurmountable, un, unobtainable, unquantifiable amount of damage. It's just a 79-cent lighter. James is saying, careful, that's the analogy I want to use with your tongue. You can do some serious, serious, serious damage. See, fire is different than most anything else. Let's take this bottle of water. If I, if, I, if I poured out this bottle of water, would it cause a flood in here? Why? Because if I poured it out, how much water would come out? That much. But now if I lit the carpet on fire, could I burn down the whole building? Because fire consumes and grows on itself. It's, it's, it's uncontained. He says, careful, that's your tongue. You have great power. It can cause great damage. Be so careful, church. It's interesting that it says that it can defile the entire body as well. It's not just that we do damage to one area, but it will actually stain our whole body. It will take over our lives. Let's say we had a fire in that corner. Could we just rope it off next week and, oh, don't ignore that. No, it would affect the whole room. It affects the whole body. Our words. We've got to be careful. 
Scripture says that our words can be like a flaming arrow. Take what we just thought of fire and now attach it to an arrow that you can shoot long distance. It does not a dagger where you can just hurt people up close. So be careful. It's powerful. Not only can it do great destruction, but it can do destruction far away. Wow. See, that power of the tongue is the same power that you have in your mouth, the same power that you're going to take to your home today, and you have an opportunity to bless that home, or you have an opportunity to curse that home. So Paul's telling us, just don't let any rotten word come out of your mouth. Saying, if you hear something come out of your mouth that's shocking to you or the person you're arguing with or your wife, he's saying, stop yourself. Evaluate what's in your heart. Ask yourself, what is in me? See, the, law, the, the issue is no longer the argument. The issue now is, why was that going to come out of my, my mouth? Because my mouth leads to my heart. Right? From our mouth is just an overflow of our heart. See, the argument is no longer how much she spent on that. The new issue is, why did I say that? See, sticks and stones, they can break our bones, but the words that come out of our mouths are the best indicator of the condition of our heart. See, what you say about somebody else says way more about you than it does them. When you're yelling at your wife, your, your husband, your spouse, your kids... What you're yelling says way more about you than it does about them. Because it's an overflow of your heart. And if your heart desires to communicate something filthy, something worthless, something unwholesome, we need to control it. He's saying, stop it before it comes out of your mouth. Don't let it proceed. And then go before the Lord and say, man, I know what was on my mind. I know what I was going to say. Where is that coming from? Is it something I'm watching? something I'm reading, hearing, something I'm hanging out with. We need to evaluate, ask for forgiveness. Discover what needs to change. Keep those influences out. Paul's saying, before it comes out, censor it. If need be, kill it. Destroy it. If it's not wholesome, don't let it proceed out of your mouth. We need to be selective in the words that we use. But not just selective. If you're back in Ephesians... Let's continue on in this verse 29. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, selective words. And it goes on and says, But only such a word as is good for edification, strengthening words. But only such a word as is good for edification. So not only do we need selective words, we need strengthening words. This word edification in context, it has to do with a construction term. As if you were building a house or a fort to edify. Refers to a place of strength and refuge. Our words are to edify. See, communication should not just be avoiding the unwholesome words, but it should be being intentional in speaking words to build each other up. Ask yourself, be honest with yourself, you don't need to share what percentage of the words you use are used to encourage, to stimulate, to thank or appreciate those around you? See, the aims of Christ-like conversation should always have to do with words that strengthen others in the body of Christ. The goal is not just to not say something that is unwholesome, but it's also to find something to say that will edify. You don't need to turn, but Proverbs 12, 18. Listen to this. This is, this is a real great 
verse. It says, There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, every time we engage in a conversation, that does not give us a license, permission to open up our mind and unleash any thought we have without first questioning that the words will count. Will those words that are going to proceed, will they build them up? So often in an argument, we do just the opposite. I know I do. I get in an argument, I want to tear down the other person. I want to weaken their position. I want to destroy their confidence, their position, so I can work leverage off it. It's as if we, uh, we look at it like a, a tennis match. You said what? Well, return that serve. It's like a verbal volley. Try my backhand on this one. Oh, yeah? Ha! <sighs> And, and is that edifying to your home? Is that strengthening your home? We get so caught up. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Saying, don't do it. Use strengthening words. Now you could be thinking, hmm, so are you saying that everything I need to say needs to be selective and strengthening? That sounds so wonderful and dreamy. But what about the real world? What about do I stand my ground? Is it okay to be frustrated? Do, do, does it just mean false flattery? It, do we do this even to the point if we need to lie? No. But we must be selective in what we say, and we also should be building people up. Right? There's an age-old question. If you're a married man in here, you've probably maybe gone through this. When the wife asks, So, how do I look? And of course it's that outfit that we think Gosh, I thought I told her last time she wore that. I don't like it. But this is a bad situation. See, it's a lose-lose for us guys. How do you respond? Should we just, uh, you know, happiness at all cost? False, false flattery? No, there's still a way to where we can be selective and strengthening. You look beautiful, honey, but that particular combination maybe isn't as flattering to your beauty. It's building up. It's, it's not false flattery, but I think you're beautiful. The point came across. We can be selective. We can all come up with that. It's not false flattery. It's making them strong. It's strengthening them. It's making your home, your relationship strong. It's edifying. See, it's, it really has to do with the way we express our heart. The way we express it, that can build up or that can tear down. Romans 15, 1. If you wouldn't mind turning. And look how this verse addresses using strengthening words. This is about as right on as it can get. Romans 15, 1 through 3, it says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, or is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me see the idea is he's saying church individually it's 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 your duty it's my duty it's our duty to build others up saying that is the pattern of christ there should always be some point some purpose some value to our speech it's not just speaking off the cuff it's not just meaningless babble see sticks and stones they can break our bones. But with every word that leaves our mouths, we have an opportunity to strengthen and encourage everyone we come in contact with. 
And there's those sweet moments of truth, of speaking the truth, where we can really be selective in what we're saying. Being intentional is everything. I mean, sometimes just that gentle, encouraging, or genuine word, it means so much. I know I see that from Beth. Beth can say something to me in, in the morning, give me that little word of encouragement, and I can leave our door feeling like I could defeat Superman that day. Just by what she says to me. I could take over the world and I'll be home in time for dinner, honey. Trust me. She can do that. Isn't that amazing? But yet, we can all do that. Do we take the opportunity to? We all need that, no matter what our personality is like. Now, let's face it, not every conversation we're going to have is going to be about a religion or salvation or doctrine. But even in the small things of life, we're always given an opportunity to encourage, to strengthen each other. Your coworker, great job. You can do it in front of the boss. Better yet. Your kids, your in-laws, extended family, your wife, your husband, the house looks great, the yard looks great, you're doing great. Thanks for picking up the dirty clothes. We always have an opportunity to encourage each other. Take those opportunities to build up each other. Build up your spouse in front of the kids. How awesome would that be? Philippians 4, 8, you don't need to turn there. It, it tells us what to be focused on. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Strengthening words. If our mind is dwelling on these things, then our mouth is going to reflect those things as well. Right? Out of the mouth just proceeds what comes from the heart. To communicate like our Lord, it does not need or necessarily need a ton of words. We don't need to speak many words, but we need to speak purposeful words. So we are not to let any unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. Be selective. But only such a word as is good for edification, strengthening words. If you're in Ephesians, we can keep going on. And then it says, according to the need of the moment. So we need to use sensitive words according to the need of the moment. Now, this is extremely important. It has to do kind of related with strengthening words. But yes, we have to strengthen people, but we need to do that in a sensitive manner. I think this point is underemphasized, and I can't imagine anything really being more important in our communication than doing it sensitively. Yes, we need to select our words. Yes, we need to find strengthening words. But we need to do all that in this grid of sensitivity. It needs to be sensitive to the moment. It's not one size fits all. We need to ask ourselves, what's needed here? What's going on? What's the context? What do they need? Maybe you can relate, either when you were a kid or currently. In our house sometimes, it so happens to be best doing homework with the kids. I get the phone call, can you come home? That's going crazy. Because we just found out that the kids have a, you know, have you ever had a project due the next day? And you wonder, how did we just find out about this today? And it's due on a size poster board that, of course, no store has. All this stuff, right? And just bad after bad. Dad comes home. Mom's mad. Oh, 
you know dads, man. And, 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 and we're running around and doing this and misunderstanding the instructions and just worse. Now the printer's not working. Some of you know, huh? Yeah. Right? And, and then it affects the next day because we're up late. The kids know I'm just staying out of mom and dad's way because now mom and dad are doing the project entirely. <laughs> What's the, I won't get there. Right? So now the whole family's tired the next morning, so you're up late, and then that's chaos, and the other kid doesn't have their shoe in the car. So you try, I mean, right? It just builds and builds. And, and I know what my w- wife's world looked like for 24 hours. And I can tell when I come home. What she doesn't need me to say is when I come home is, Honey, these little rebellious sinners, a couple more years, they're out of here. (laughs) See, that wouldn't be sensitive. That's not in the need of what she needs right now. It could be strengthening to her and all that, but it's not sensitive. It's out of context. If, If I came home from work, and let's say... You know, it's one of those days. Have you ever been working on something for months and then one swift moment you find out it's all for naught, you went the wrong way? It's one of those days. And she knows what you're going through and she comes home and says, you know, hon, you should just quit. Probably not what I need. It needs to be done through a grid of sensitivity. We need to take into account, what am I going through? Is she going through? What's the situation? What's the context? What condition are they, need, are they in? We figure it out, and then we respond. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate. Have a good time. And it says, Weep with those who weep. We need to use sensitive words that are strengthening that are selective. See, sticks and stones can break my bones, but our words can change the circumstance of any situation. And men, I think we are more subject to not doing this than women. We're a little more out of touch. It's the, it's the moment when true wisdom is needed and we need to ask ourselves, what would I need to hear? What would, what would help? What would discourage? It's empathetic living, putting yourself in their shoes. We need selective words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. We need strengthening words, words as, that are good for edification. We need sensitive words according to the need of the moment. And we need spiritual words so that it will give grace to those who hear. Think about that last part so that it will give grace to those who hear. There is probably no other category of speech that is more like God than when we display grace in our speech. I mean, this now is the very core of communicating like Christ. We could extend His grace through us, through our speech, to others. To do this, man, we must forget ourselves. Forget our our pain, our concern, our entitlements, our rights. And when we do that, that's when we get lost into the work of giving grace. At this point, we really have an act of service to others. So again, we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm saying here pure? Is what I'm going to say, is it truth? Because when it is, God's word says that we can extend the gospel to those who we are speaking to. That's God's grace. 
And the ultimate example of God's grace is the gospel message. What he's done for us on the cross. Grace in our uh, speech is communicating like Christ. It's not thinking of ourselves. It's at this point we're regarding one another as more important than ourselves. That is grace. That's when we really have an act of service. Can you imagine a church that conducted themselves, that spoke in such a manner to where we extended grace to all who hear? Oh, how awesome would it be? What an impact we would have. See, sticks and stones, they can break my bones. But miraculously, through our word, God allows us to show his love. Miraculously, through our words, God allows us to to extend his grace. Miraculously, through our words, he allows us to proclaim the good news. That is awesome. And we see how this is all hinged together now. Because if we want to proclaim his good news, well, we better speak in a, a select, with selective words, with strengthening words and sensitive words, or else we'll never get to spiritual words. We want to fulfill our commission as a body of believers. What comes out of our mouth is oh so important. And if we, if we can do it right, just maybe we can get to the spiritual words and have an impact on this world. Because if we do it wrong, number four won't count. Because what does the world say about Christians? You're a hypocrite. I, right. Keep it. I, you know, no difference, except you wake up early on Sundays. The power of words. This has been an, a long journey, I guess, this message. Um, I, I probably figured out what I was going to be teaching on 12 days ago, and <laughs> it's, it's been extremely convicting. I, I, I do my studying at night after work, and I ca- every single day, and this is being on the forefront of our mind, we had some different meetings at work and stuff, and I'm going through just day-to-day life, and I'm coming home, and I just start studying for this thing, and oh my goodness, I am so far off. It's been, a, it, it, it's been a long 12 days of, of, of this message. But during that, I felt so convicted, and I was also, I felt prompted to, to, to present you with the challenge, too. It was, it was so strong with me. I, I would challenge every single one of you to put Ephesians 4.29 to memory and to do it within the next 24 hours. And then keep that on the forefront of your heart for this next week. You want to see the Spirit of God move mightily in your, in your lives. You memorize this and, and, and keep that fresh throughout the day. It's incredible. It is incredible. I was thinking to close, if you have your Bible and you're still in Ephesians 4, if we could just read Ephesians 4.29 all together out loud. I'll start us off with the reference. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I'd like to read the last three verses to you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit 
of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor, let all slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving, uh, be forgiving to each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is, is good. It is like water to our soul, Lord. It's like honey on our lips. It's refreshing. Lord, help us to treasure and hide your word in our heart. Lord, that we might not sin against you. That we can put that into use, into practice, so, the, so our actions, so the, the, the words that come out of our mouth might bring you glory. That we might be a group of people who could pr- proclaim the one who's called us out of light, uh, darkness and into the marvelous light. Lord, that our, our words would be a sacrifice, an act of worship. That they would be a sweet aroma. Let this be a church, Lord. Let us be families and individuals. Let us speak in such a manner that we might extend your grace to all who hear. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful week. John will be back next week. Love you all much.